A few years ago, I was at a conference where the speakers were talking about everyday goals people have and giving the best advice they had gathered from experts on how to reach these goals. And one in particular we've used at our house was about how to really declutter your home. And what they said is you need to go to your closet, take out all the clothes that you don't use and don't need, put them in a bag, and put that bag in the hallway to take to Goodwill. They said the second step is to now go back to that same closet and go through it again. Find all the clothes that you don't need and you don't use, put them in a bag, put that bag in the hallway, and get it ready to go to Goodwill. They said the third, final step, is one more time. Now go back to that closet, repeat that same process, and when you have that bag ready, then take all those clothes to Goodwill. They said that's the way you really declutter because the first time people don't get enough of the stuff, the second time they don't get enough, but the third time through you find that you really do clean up things that you really don't need. And what we're going to look at today is spiritually that same idea as we have now entered into the Lenten season. Because Lent is about decluttering our lives spiritually, but we want to look at not just things that you might subtract, but what are some things to add as well so that your life and my life in Christ blossoms even more so. Lent, the idea originally, was a 40-hour fast and time of prayer. started about 200 AD where people right before Easter wanted to recognize that very, very special day. And so they'd spend 40 hours and they'd fast and pray. Eventually that became the entire week leading up to Easter, which then eventually translated into 40 days. The reason is 40 is a very special number in scripture. It's a number of testing. It's a number of going through trials. It's a number of also just purifying. If you go back and look at scripture, you'll see it rained 40 days, 40 nights in the flood. Moses was on Mount Sinai 40 days, 40 nights. Goliath would challenge Israel for 40 days and 40 nights. Somebody come and fight me. The spies went into the promised land 40 days, 40 nights. They came out in unbelief. And then because of that unbelief, they spent 40 years in the desert. Mostly, though, we recognize, of course, the fact that Jesus spent 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness destroying the works of the devil so that we might live in that life as overcomers. So Lent is a very special time. And if you look at, for instance, Proverbs 28, 13, it tells us whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We also recognize that ultimately it's about recognizing the need for repentance and turning from sin to embrace the life in Christ because those that conceal their sin, they won't prosper. But as Solomon says, the one who confesses and renounces that sin finds mercy, mercy for life. I love this quote here by John Vinay in the 1800s. You do not need to wallow in guilt, wallow in the mercy of God. And that's what we embraced in this time of Lent to say, you know, Lord, change what needs to be changed. Take from my life the things that need to be removed 
and also some things to add in to our life in this time in Lent. As we've talked before, you know, January 1st is never enough motivation for people to make long-term goals. You know, holidays don't often have enough, you know, just strength in and of themselves to encourage us to keep changes. But here's Lent, a time of 40 days to really stop and commit to say, let me see things, do things, think things differently. Beginning with what are maybe some things that need to be decluttered from my life. And maybe instead of giving up things like people stop watching TV or they give up a certain food, though those things can be very good, maybe say, let me give up negativity. Let me give up selfishness. Let me give up angry words and start to say, Lord, what is it I can declutter from my life that will lead me more into living the life you call me to live? We're going to look at a beautiful story in the life of Jesus in this context here of seeing that Lenten picture of the sin removed from our life, but then adding in also the righteousness and spiritual disciplines and spiritual growth. Rob Bell shared at a time when he was a a minister, called to do a funeral for a man who had been very angry and very mean and very cruel. Family did not get along. They were very separated. And he said, to make matters worse, this man wanted to cause more pain, knowing he was getting ready to die, changed his will to remove family members. And he wanted that shared before the funeral. And sure enough, everybody came to the funeral after the reading of the will. And just like that man wanted, they were angry and hurt and upset by his cruelty, even when he died. And I share this quote here from Rob Bell, and I I think it's somewhat profound. He said, from the most subtle rolling of the eye to the most violent degradation of human nature, we are terrifyingly free to do as we please. We are terrifyingly free to do as we please. Lent is a time to recognize that we are terrifyingly free to do as we please, and we often do things very sinful, very selfish. We can look at the world and see that people are also very, very free to do as they please. And Lent is a time to really stop and say, Lord, what are those places in my life where I use that freedom and use it in ways that I should not? Draw me back to yourself, because the one who refuses to acknowledge that Sin doesn't prosper, but the one who confesses it, they find mercy. And we don't wallow in guilt. We wallow in that mercy. Let us then be even more so grateful for the gift we have in Christ. For a time, I worked with different congregations going through challenges and conflicts. I remember one particular It was very obvious that what was taking place is different people were starting rumors about other people. And those people would then respond in kind and do it to the people that started rumors about them. And so you had all these stories being made up as people gossiped. Something scripture says is sin and destructive. I remember I sat down with the deacons who had been participating in that. And remember very clearly sitting with them and saying, you know, you have to lead by example. And so you have to stop gossiping yourself. And if somebody does bring gossip to you, tell them that you refuse to engage in that or listen to that. And one of the deacons 
looked at me and he said, everybody gossips. Why can't we? Everybody does it. This is why I talk about for your life and my life on a regular basis, the imperative need is to live with a different standard. You see, Lent is another chance for each of us to say, I raise my standard to say there are things I won't permit any longer in my life. And the idea of culture and some even within their own religious stuff to say, but everybody does it. We need a different standard for our lives to raise a standard to say, I'm not here to live like everyone else. Again, January 1st is not going to compel people to live different. Some people, they embrace Easter for a few moments, but Lent is a time to say for these 40 days and beyond that, God, help me to have a different standard. And where I've got sin, lead me to repentance and let me wallow in your mercy and not just subtract things from my life, but we're going to see that we add things to our life as well here in this time of Lent. So let's look at Luke chapter 5. Starting verse 27, we're told Jesus went out, saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office and said to him, follow me. And he left everything and rose and followed him. Now, those words may not have the same impact to us as they would in the first century. But Jesus calling a tax collector, a tax collector in that culture was basically a a, mobster, a bully. They could take people's money. If they didn't give that money, they could threaten them to put them in prison. And so it was very corrupt. And here's this person named Levi. We also know him as Matthew. That's a tax collector. And Jesus approaches him and he says, follow me. And Levi follows him. Now look what happens in the next verse. Then Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of, notice, a large company of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. It's very clear that something profound just happened in this moment. And this party is probably days, maybe weeks after their first meeting. But Levi, Matthew, a tax collector, one of the lowest of the low, meets Christ. His life is changed. And what does he say? Jesus, there are other people just like me. If I invite them to my house, would you come and sit with them? Would you come and lift them out of the mess they found themselves in, just like you did for my life? And what does Jesus do? He sits down with, again, a large company of tax collectors, a whole bunch of the lowest of the low bringing them the gospel message. You don't have to wallow in guilt. You don't have to wallow in sin. Wallow in mercy. What happens next? The Pharisees showed up and their scribes murmured against Jesus' disciples saying, why do you eat and drink Notice their own words, with tax collectors and sinners. They see who Jesus is with and they recognize, why are you with tax collectors and sinners? 
Soren Kierkegaard in the 1800s, a philosopher, a writer, a theologian, he often wrote things about false believers who were hypocrites and didn't live out what they claimed to believe. He was one time asked, how would you explain the gospel message of Christ, the incarnation coming into our world? To those who not, were not familiar with the scripture. And so when Kierkegaard said, you know, imagine there's a king and he's in this big palace. And there in the palace, he wants to find who his queen will be. And he happens to go into town and he sees a peasant girl and he falls in love with her at first sight. But the king says, you know, as king, I could simply declare her queen. But that would be forced. That wouldn't be love. The king says, you know, I could shower her with gifts and jewelry, prestige. But then I'd wonder, does she love me or does she simply love the wealth? He said, I could also go into town and put on an outfit, dress like a peasant, and go in and maybe talk to her and then reveal who I really am. He said, well, but that would not be building trust. He said the only real way to win her heart, the only honest way, he left the palace, he left his wealth, he left it all behind. He moved into town, took up a trade and began to work in that community as one of them. Until eventually she would fall in love with who he really was. They said that's the gospel message that Christ left everything to come participate in our world and our lives so that he could identify with us and we could identify with him and in our weakness find that he is our strength. And he sits down at that table with tax collectors and sinners and says, you know, you don't have to wallow in guilt wallow rather in mercy. Back to Matthew's party, it says, Jesus answered the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call, notice, the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous. There are none who are righteous. And they would have heard that. They were self-righteous. They were arrogant. So much so that they had all this confidence in their own ability to follow the commandments, though they knew they couldn't. And Jesus says, I've not come to call the, the righteous. And hopefully in that hearing, they would have stopped in their tracks and said, but we're not righteous. We need to sit at that table with him to learn the truth about freedom available only through Messiah. I love this quote by Paula White. Paula White's got a very large ministry and she's on television, written a lot of books and what maybe is not known about her life though, though she's been very successful behind the scenes. There's been a lot of pain. When she was a child, her neighbor 
abused her in the worst possible way. At five years old, her father, imagine again, she's only five years old. Her father took his own life. And through all that pain, in faith, she met Jesus. Changes the circumstance when we don't recognize maybe somebody that's in the public eye. You never know what's taking place behind the scenes. What a trophy of grace. But I love what she said. Help us to pray like we mean it. Help us to pray like it matters. That'd be a great way to enter into Lent and say for our own lives, not just to declutter, let sin and things that distract be removed, but add in, Father, help me to pray like I mean it. Help me to pray like it matters. Help me to pray like it matters. As Martin Luther would say of Christ, you are my righteousness and I am thy sin. He's our righteousness and he took that sin from us. Which brings us back to the end of this discussion here at the party with Matthew. Jesus answered them and said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, those who are believing in their own self-righteousness. I've not come to call the righteous, but look what he says, but sinners to repentance. Sinners to repentance. Not just to forgiveness, which is part of it, but to repentance, to turn and go the opposite way of that sin. And so as we go into this Lenten time to stop and say, where do I need to repent? Where do I need to go the opposite direction? Because he's come to call me to live a life of a different standard, not like everybody else, but with him as the standard. Again, Soren Kierkegaard, beautiful quote, God creates out of nothing Wonderful, you say? Yes, to be sure. But he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners. Which brings us to two stories as we close. One is the wrong way to enter into Lent. And one is the right way. What is it again that maybe you're sensing in your heart needs to be subtracted from your life? The decluttering. Again, it might be negative words. It might be fear. It might be prayerlessness. But what can you add in as well? Maybe it's adding in that prayer matters and to pray like we mean it. Maybe it's to love more, give more, be kinder. Here's the wrong way to enter into Lent. This is the John Davis Memorial in Kansas. It was built during the Great Depression. John Davis at the time, a very wealthy man, a millionaire, but also a very unkind man. He was married And as his wife grew ill, he began to build statues of her as well as himself. And then she passed away, but he continued to build these statues. And they are still there today, an odd exhibit for those who like to see strange things on their trip across the country. In all, he built about 10 statues of his wife and himself. But again, he did this during the Great Depression. These statues cost a lot of money. In fact, when he died, it cost him all his money. He died broke, penniless. And when he died, only a couple people went to the funeral. And one of those was a man that he had paid a lot of money to over the years. 
what happened is during the Great Depression, while he's building these statues, people came to him and said, there's a person in town, they need medical help. Would you help them? He said, no. Eventually, some people went and said, would you help us build a hospital in town? You could help a lot of people. And John Davis said, no. And finally, the people said, why won't you help? And John Davis said, because nobody ever helped me. Lived angry, died angry. Contrast his story with a man named Al Johnson. His story happened about six years after Davis' story. Al Johnson went to some revival meetings at night at a Baptist church. One night he gave his life to Christ. A few nights later, he stood up at the pulpit, said, I have an announcement to make, an announcement that shocked the people and made headlines in newspapers. When Al Johnson stood up, he said, a few nights ago, I gave my life to Christ. I carry my sin no more. He said, but what you don't know about me is something in my conscience I can no longer keep quiet. He said, five years ago, I robbed a bank and I got away with it. But I can't live with that. I'm my conscious. I'm a new creation in Christ. Al Johnson left the church and went and turned himself into the police and confessed to a crime. He went before the judge. The judge said the statute of limitations had run out. He was a free man. To enter into Lent is a time to say, let things not stay the same. Let me have a different standard. Let my life be different like Al Johnson. Confess sin where there's sin. Repent where there needs to be repentance. But then embrace holiness and add what needs to be added by God's grace during this time to our life so that we don't wallow in guilt, but rather we wallow immersed in mercy.